Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program as uh, we get set for another broadcast of this fine program, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at richarddugan.com, as well as podcasting uh, at that same website, but also on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and a whole bunch of others that folks are linking us up to. We also have a link to our guest's website. You click on their name, or if you're looking listening on the SoundCloud playlist, uh, you click on the little grocery cart, and it takes you to our our guest website. And if you like what we are doing and you'd like to support us financially, we would be ever so grateful. We have a PayPal and Patreon account so that you can do just that on our homepage as well as our missions page. And if you aren't familiar with uh, who and what we are, uh, then uh, please go to the missions page or just listen to this interview. You're, I think you're going to know exactly who and what we are all about. Um, I also want to let you know that um, I shared a story not long ago on this program about uh, some help that I gave to an individual. Uh, the gentleman was headed back to Oklahoma. Uh, I was, of course, getting my uh, Starbucks uh, chai latte uh, special blend that I created. And uh, the gentleman needed gas in his uh, van to uh, start heading for Oklahoma. So I, th- I thought about that for a little bit, and I thought, well, I can't give him any money because I don't have cash. I says, follow me. There's a gas station three, four blocks down the road. We pulled in. I gave it, I actually set it up for 40 bucks, but it only needed 30 And uh, he thanked me. We couldn't hug or shake hands or anything, and uh, I went on my way. Today, when I went in to uh, get my special blend chai latte, there he was. Looking for money for gas. And I thought, great, I was just taken. But not really, because my intent was, if, if you can put it in this context, clear. And it was pure. And it was genuine. I certainly wanted to help him get home to his family, because I was with mine. And it's really sad when you have people like that who seem to think that they can do whatever they want and violate the, the rules of the road and I'm meaning the road of life, uh, just to do whatever they want. So I just wanted to share that with you. And would I do it again? Probably. Because you don't know who is in need. Well, with that said, my guest at one point in his life was in need. He had reached um, uh, an age that I uh, look in the rearview mirror, and it's way, way back there, uh, almost half my life ago where uh, he did not hear this particular word uh, in his situation, which is where his book comes from. That one word that he did not hear was, Claire! They shocked the daylights out of him to get his heart started because he had suffered from a heart attack. And he wrote a book called, Clear, Living the Life You Didn't Dream Of. My guest is Herman Jay Williams. He's a doctor. And uh, I want to thank you so much for uh, sharing this story with us as we begin. I also want to thank you for uh, being alive uh, to share this story. Uh, Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you, Richard. Thank you so much. It's an honor 
that you'd even have me on your show. Well, I'll tell you that there are people who have been through uh, near le- near death and uh, out of body experiences and so on and so forth. And I will also tell you, just to give you a little point of reference for me, my current wife uh, is has been working in the field of cardiology for over 40 years. She's not a cardiologist, but she is uh, someone who has worked with patients. She's worked with cardiologists uh, at Mayo, uh, at Arizona Heart currently, and actually her first stint, if I'm correct, or at least her very early years, she was working at Sansom Clinic in Santa Barbara, California, which is where Uh we live. And it's where mm-hmm. she still works, although she is on furlough and hopefully back uh, back, mm-hmm. back to work by the time this interview uh, is heard by folks. But one of the things that I have found so fascinating uh, about learning about the heart in particular, and, and, um, and that is that some folks like Greg Braden and many others who I've talked with on this program, they talk about the heart and the fact that uh, in addition to it, uh, being the most important muscle in the human body, uh, in in in, uh, in the sense that number one, it it certainly pumps the blood, uh, circulates the blood throughout the uh, the, the body, uh, to keep us uh, healthy and well and so forth. It is also considered on a an energetic and metaphysical perspective uh, a level. It's the seat of emotion. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about uh, your uh, epic period of time when you were in your early 30s, 31 years to be exact. Mm -hmm. And your then fiance, I hope she's your wife today. my wife of 29 years. Yes. Congratulations. Oh, wow. So you are uh, right. You, well, and you and I must be the same age because I'm 60 as of June 26th of 2020. Yep. yep. There you go. So tell us about uh, maybe the, not so much the hours, but maybe even if you're, if you can uh, go back even days or weeks prior to that event um, and whether, I'm just curious as to whether or not and of course, hindsight being what it is, 2020, um, mm-hmm. if there was any th- indication in your, not in necessarily your health or test results, maybe you had a physical, what have you, but just maybe in your psyche, maybe a still small voice inside might have been speaking to you at that time saying, hey, hey, uh, Herman, you, you, you need to. You need to do something here or whatever the case might be. Were there any signs in any way, shape or form internally um, in that respect that that you can recall picking up on? Yes, so there there were. And I I think it's it's a very important question because um, a lot of people ignore signs and symptoms of a heart attack or in my case, a cardiac arrest. Um, But I had uh, rapid heart episodes of a rapid heart rate and lightheadedness. Um, I was, of course, a physician in training at that time during my orthopedic surgery training. So I was very well aware that, you know, I could have something wrong with me, even though I had not had any medication um, that I was taking at that time. I was in the absolute uh, top physical shape. Uh, I was actually on a basketball uh, intramural team Um, so even though I had no reason to suspect 
I had no family history of heart disease. I actually did get checked out. I had an echo done. I had a treadmill. I had everything they could have possibly done, non-invasive. Um, and they gave me a clean bill of health. Now, how long and before that, the episode did that? were you given that clean bill of health? Well, that was in the fall of about six months before the event actually occurred. So okay. I'd had a clean bill of health. And what they told me is, look, you got to stop drinking coffee. Because I was in Seattle. And at that time, Starbucks was like <laughs> in its infancy. But we were we were pounding, you know, um, shots of coffee throughout the day to stay awake for my residency program. So they said, look, stop all the caffeine. This is probably just related to your excessive coffee drinking and go on about your way. Hmm. So um, I had it checked out. And this the, the message here to the listeners is, you know, even though you have stuff checked out, um, we can't do always do a thorough investigation uh, for everything. And for me, um, it was an early diagnosis that had actually no detectable um, symptoms except for the rapid heart rate. So even if they had cut me open and looked at my heart and looked at it under a microscope, they still wouldn't have found anything. Wow. Well, I myself um, and my wife is extremely persistent in this area. I myself, uh, after moving from Phoenix, Arizona, living there for 46 years, uh, to Santa Barbara, I was diagnosed, uh, I don't know, maybe six or seven years ago with high blood pressure, mm-hmm. which ticked me off to no end because I never recall having any signs or symptoms of having bl- mm-hmm. high blood pressure. Of course, mm-hmm. I also uh, wasn't really driving in, in heavy traffic. So uh, I used to tell them as they were taking the test, they were drawing the blood, they were having me pee in a cup so they could check all of the parameters. <laughs> I said, you're not going to find anything in, the, in that fluid. You're not going to find anything in any of these tests that you're taking, other than the fact that I have high blood pressure. You're not going to find any causation because it's in here. It's in my head. I'm having mm-hmm. trouble dealing with... Oh, you know how the old saying goes, you can't fix stupid. <laughs> I'm having trouble with my inability to fix stupid out on the roads. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't long after I was sharing these kinds of things with one of some of my guests. They said, well, you do realize, Richard, that these people who you can't fix stupid in, they did not wake up this morning and say, let's get Richard. Right, exactly. That did not. And I, I took that two ways. Number one was, oh, good. Uh, it's not personal. And then I took it another way. What do you mean it's not personal? They don't care enough about me to. <laughs> but that's kind of where I'm at these days. It's like, look, we're all just trying to get from point A to point B. We're all distracted by who knows what. And, of course, in this day and time here in 2020, which, by the way, uh, Doc, this is 2020, the year of perfect vision. I declared it back in September 2019. We are asking people to go within. That's why I started with that question with you as as far as that's concerned, because we could sit here and we could go through all of the the the, the physical, medical, bio, uh, 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 biological, physiological uh, uh, discussion of, of all of the stuff that was happening. But this kind of thing if you will, if I can refer to it as a thing, uh, it is not something that 
most people think about. Right. And again, it's like I'm sitting here and, I, and, and mostly guys and guys usually go, ah, I'm fine. No, no. The pain is over on my right side. It's not near my heart, you know, and, right, and exactly. my right. My, no, my left arm is fine. It's my right arm that kind of, you know, this and that and the other. I mean, I found out some new things uh, physiologically for, through my wife. I did not know that a lot of times when they take your blood pressure, they'll do it on both arms because you'll get a different reading from each arm. Mm-hmm. And so what I do is I say, oh, sure, but I want you to give me the better read. I want you to write down the best <laughs> reading from the, <laughs> the arm that gives you the best. Yeah. I am uh, yeah. taking medication for it, um, but uh, and that's okay. But see, that's the other thing that I think about, too, and, and uh, in terms of taking care of myself. My wife is on furlough from Sansom. I'm still going mm-hmm. into work. And she told me just the other day, she says, you know that I spend most of my day just waiting for you to get home. And I'm going, okay, what am I supposed to do with that? (laughs) Because I'm still going in. (laughs) So I told her this morning, I said, look, I'm going to continue to work on trying to do everything I can to do everything from home. This interview, I could actually be doing at home because we're on Skype and I can do that anywhere. (laughs) Anyway. So this program being about choices and knowledge of those choices to make our dreams come true. When you had your episode, you got through it. I would venture they put you on some kind of medication. Is that uh, fair to say? Oh, yeah. And a regiment <laughs> and so forth. Yeah. What, what was, if you can recall back the, 29 years ago, when you finally woke up, what was one of the first things that went through your mind? Well, first of all, when people wake up from a cardiac arrest, they typically have uh, days to weeks of short-term memory. And so what was recounted to me is the first thing I did, I woke up, I actually um, was intubated and I actually, what they call self extubated myself and yanked the tube out, uh, cause I woke up abruptly. So I probably, my first thought was where the heck am I? <laughs> and then the first thing I said to my wife was what happened? Mm. Um, and I proceeded to, uh, get an explanation of, you know, you were playing basketball and you went down and your friends who, by the way, happen to be anesthesia residents. So the moral of that story is if you're ever going to play a sport, take somebody with you who knows CPR. Um, and they said, and she said, you went down and these guys resuscitated you and you are miraculously alive. And I said, oh my God, that's wonderful. And she walked away and she came back and I said, hi, Jeannie, what happened? And I did that for the next 24 hours. And every five minutes, I didn't know what was going on, but I suspect, you know, I just woke up and just was totally disoriented because you have no recollection uh, of the event. Mm. When I finally really, I remember very clearly um, a day, I think it was the first day because my wife was there, my brother was there, my father was there, my mother, and my mother and father live in Los Angeles and we were in Seattle. It, It just all came clear to me that we were all together in the ICU, and I finally realized that something terrible had happened. Mm. Um, And it was at that time that, I I mean, we just all started crying because they were like, oh my God, he's finally back with us. 
and I just realized that this is pretty serious. Uh, and so all I could think about, and the, the book really talks about living a life you didn't dream of, all I could think about was this dream I had been in pursuit of for 13 years, diligently, uh, you know, getting myself together, pulling the right people, making the right connections. And all of a sudden, what in the world is going to happen to that dream? That's probably what was on my mind. Mm. It's it is. There's no question that each individual's story is a is a unique and can be a very profound story for others. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Were you how long from the time that the episode hit on the basketball court until the time you woke up? Um, that you were told I, about. <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, so the episode we were just, as a matter of fact, yesterday, uh, April twenty eighth was the twenty ninth anniversary. My wife said her and my son were together, and they took a moment of silence at approximately one p.m. Mm. when that occurred and so i believe later that night around eight or nine o'clock is when i actually woke up in the icu okay were you in any way shape or form considered clinically dead yes for how long well they had been doing cpr and they they would later tell me that my pupils were dilated and i was turning purple and they were saying to themselves i don't know why we are continuing to do cpr because Either he's already dead or he is not going to come back. Or if we resuscitate him, he's going to be brain dead. But they were just working on reflexes and they just said, we're not giving up. And they kept pumping, kept pumping. So at some point, I'm sure I had actually, I was clinically dead. Had they stopped CPR, then I would not have uh, survived. But they persisted. Uh, and the the interesting thing about it for those who haven't read the book is that you, as you know, they, the first defibrillator came in and they said, Claire, and it didn't work. Oh, <laughs> so nice. They were like, oh crap, <laughs> we better resume CPR. And yep. then they, so, so the length of time they did CPR, uh, as we all know now, time to CPR is critical to prediction of survival. And so they were like, you got to be kidding me. So we got to keep doing CPR until the second defibrillator came, which they were finally able to get a, a normal uh, heart rate. Heart rate. Mm. Uh, and then they took me to the hospital where I was training as a resident. Um, and my friends would later recall to me their surprise seeing them wheeling in uh, Herman Williams, the orthopedic resident who many times received patients himself in that very same ER. So. Wow. Extraordinary. And now, do you have recollections of that period uh, in terms of some of the experiences that people have had with um, uh, near-death experiences? You know, um, I did not have um, a near-death experience during that event. It was a subsequent event um, where I had it's it's a it's a bit of a contrived story, but basically, um, I was after this event occurred, I was given a, a defibrillator, surgically implanted defibrillator, and about six years after the initial event, um, I went into a rapid heart rate, and normally the device would have shocked me out of that event, 
but I always had a magnet, which is a no-no for those people who are listening. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because um, uh, if, you know, you can literally get shocked continuously until either you the defibrillator breaks the rhythm um, or until your rate goes below a danger rate. Uh, and so I was always awake and it was just terrifying. And so I had this magnet and I put on my device to stop the device from shocking while I was awake. The intention was if I passed out, I'd fall to the ground and I'd get shocked. Well, what happened is I rolled over on the magnet. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, um, Ultimately, a gentleman came down the stairs and rolled me back over, and he started doing CPR. And I was once again uh, uh, um, um, resuscitated by a bystander. But that was the one time where I had a what I consider a near-death experience, where I actually had this dream. It was so peaceful. I just remember um, driving down the street in a convertible, and I could see the palm trees in California, I was looking up and I could see the palm trees uh, going by as I was driving this convertible. And then I very faintly heard someone say, Herman, 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 Herman. It got louder and louder. And then boom, I woke up and I was on the floor and the fire department was there. Oh, wow. So that was about as close to a near-death experience uh, that I've had throughout this whole 29-year adventure. What were your philosophical leanings prior to this event, and how did they, if they changed, after the fact? You know, um, I have always been a very spiritual person. I am what you would call um, a cradle Catholic. I was born into the Catholic religion. I was baptized. I believed in God. I was very actively practicing Catholicism. Um I was always a very, what I consider, compassionate person, and I was always very kind to other people, and I really think the journey that I'm on now is just an extension of all those kind acts and things that I did in the past, and I believed that God would not take me this far and get me this trained through college, medical school, uh, graduate degree, and uh, healthcare policy, um, you know, into my surgical residency four out of the five years. And then all of a sudden say, okay, now you're going to be disabled forever and you're never going to do anything. I just refuse to accept that. And so part of my belief is that there was a larger mission for me to do. Um, and I just had to get on a journey and find out what that was and not accept defeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and sure enough, you know, 29 years later, um, I can declare I was right. There was a much larger thing for me to do, and there was a way I could turn uh, lemons into lemonade. And um, so my spirituality has gotten stronger, but I always thought it was pretty solid <laughs> uh, prior to this. Clear Living is uh, what we're talking about here. Clearlivingthelife.com is the website that you want to go to to find out more. Find out more about uh, our guest, uh, Dr. Williams. Herman Williams uh, wrote a book called Clear, Living the Life You Didn't Dream Of. Uh, 
In terms of that dream, and we talk about this all the time, I use the, the phrase, as you heard at the front of the program, about giving people choices and knowledge of those choices. It's like um, I give someone a copy of your book and they can read the front and the back covers, but they have no clue as to what's on the inside. So we bring people on this program to open up the cover and start flipping through the pages to find out what that choice really is, what it's all about. And does it resonate with you? If it does, great. Use it. Go for it. Use bits and pieces of it if you have to or if you want to. Uh, and and uh, maybe you didn't even know about this choice. Or in some instances, sometimes you heard about it years ago and completely forgot about it. And all of a sudden it's being brought back to your memory. And this is the whole process is about making this world a better place by helping us to fulfill our own personal dreams uh, and maybe even the dreams of our community. Maybe our dream is incorporated in or enmeshes with that of our community. Could be our family, uh, could be a larger community, a small town, city, state, nation, the world. I know that a big dream for the world today (laughs) is I wish we could snap our fingers and this uh, COVID virus would uh, disappear. Uh, But that isn't going to happen, uh, you know, in that respect. But a lot of strides have been made. What in reference to this subtitle, living the life you didn't dream of, what life didn't you dream of that you got? Right. So. Um, the cliff notes of the book for those who really are like me and are not super readers <laughs> is that, I mean, I had this incredible dream. I grew up in Southern California, by the way, I was a pharmaceutical sales rep in Santa Barbara. I, uh, oh. uh, was right outside the university there. I, and it's just so interesting. And, and I actually rotated through cottage hospital as a surgical intern uh, so I'm very familiar with that area. But my dream was to go to med school, get into an orthopedic surgery program, get into a sports medicine fellowship and be the team doctor for the Los Angeles Lakers. I had it all mapped out. I met the team doctor for the Rams, um, who was in a personal inspiration to me. I figured I could taste it. I knew I planned the course. Uh, And that was, you know, looking now, that was a very superficial dream. But as you know, those of us who grew up in Southern California can't help to be inspired by Hollywood. And, you know, I wanted to um, come back and be the doctor to the stars. Well, uh, again, in my spirituality, I feel that God said, look, you know, I I think what you really want to do is to use all those skills and information and knowledge and inspiration to help other people overcome traumatic things that happen to them in their lives. And I've got a totally different (laughs) dream I want you to to fulfill. And I, I think it's important, Richard, because I believe that we all have a little voice inside our heads that is telling us things. And we've all experienced it. You know, you're leaving and the little voice says, did you lock the door <laughs> and or, or did you lower the garage when you came out and you come home an hour later and the garage is up? And you, we don't listen to that little voice. But I, I really think there is a little voice telling us you need to do this or you need to go on this interview or you need to make this call or 
you know, someone's reaching out to you, be listening for that message because that could be a key directional driver in your life. Um, and I think um, after 17 years, after I had the initial cardiac arrest, when I finally realized that I had a totally different career that was so much more powerful, I was the head of, uh, I was a chief medical officer um, of a large health system. And I said, now imagine having an impact over the healthcare of thousands of people in multiple states and making sure that you have control over quality standards and inspiring the health workers. Compare that to the team doctor of the Lakers. <laughs> and it just seemed so much more inspirational and so much more powerful that that was the new life I was dreaming, the one I couldn't have possibly imagined. Um, and then subsequent to that, I had a stroke in 2013 where I literally was a phasic for three days. I could not speak. I, I, you know, when I talked, it was all garbled. And it was during that time that I really think the mission uh, that I want to live for the rest of my life, which is everyone I meet, I want to inspire in some way to be better off um, after they leave me than before they met me. That is the life that I'm living now that I never thought could be so powerful. And that is the course of inspiration and helping people to understand that don't give up. And just because you had this one dream, create a new dream. And so, you know, this has been 29 years in the making of trying to understand why all of this has happened to me and how can I make this positive and how can I help others? Mm. Um, that's kind of been the inspiration for the book. Well, so that's a long-winded answer to your question. That's absolutely <laughs> fine. Uh, uh, <clears throat> the winds are blowing, and uh, long or short, we will <laughs> we'll take them because uh, that's what fills the time. But it's not about filling the time. It's about informing, educating, entertaining, and hopefully inspiring people to remember that there is more to this life. I, I, yeah. I know it may not seem like it, folks, but there is more to this life than the coronavirus COVID-19. There is more to this life than presidential elections. There is more to this life than climate change. There's more to this life than anything that you could list. And Mm -hmm. that's why we are promoting 2020, the year of perfect vision, going within to find that still small voice, to listen and follow the promptings of that still small voice. And I will remind you that it will never, ever ever put you in harm's way you do that to yourself by virtue of maybe not listening i've shared this story i don't know how many hundreds of times uh herman uh with people about an experience i had when i was bicycling at that time that's all i could do was bicycle because i couldn't get a driver's license Uh, i was legally blind at the time well enough to see uh, and so forth and i got this prompting as i crossed this one intersection turn left Turn left, turn left, turn left, turn left. And I went half a mile down the road and the prompting would not go. It got stronger and stronger. I turned around. I went back to that intersection, made the turn, then made all of the necessary turns to get back on my path. I have no clue as to why. Okay. Whether it was a, I was going to avoid something or it was just a test to see if I really was listening, to see if I was really willing to follow those promptings 
And I jokingly say to people that if you're not going to follow the promptings, why are you even bothering listening? Mm-hmm. And I will add to that, LOL. <laughs> uh, but it is important that we begin that process of listening and following the promptings, knowing and trusting. When my wife and I lost our jobs, she actually quit her job and I lost mine through the uh, sale of the station. Uh, the new owners were not going to keep the old folks on, the old people on, the, 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 the old staff. Let me put it that way. Um, mm-hmm. so my last day was the 28th of February, tw- 2006, uh, March 1st, my wife calls me and says, I just quit my job and we're sitting in front of the TV that night. And she says, I'm scared. I feel like we're on the edge of a cliff. Well, mm-hmm. I shared with her, I says, everything that I have ever heard about being on the edge of a cliff, you always do two things and they are contrary to anything that you would think you should do the first thing is you jump the second (laughs) thing is you trust and that's what we're asking people to do i realize that uh, by the way i'm i'm absolutely annoyed to no end with the phrase in these uncertain times (laughs) now doc can you can you please tell me in your short 60 years here on the planet, when have you ever had certain times? Certainty. Yeah. When? I Never. don't believe Never. we've ever, ever had certain times. There is one certain thing I do know, though, is that we have to take a quick break. We're going to do that. We're going to come back and talk more with uh, Dr. Herman J. Williams of the book Clear. Clear uh, is the title of the book. And uh, Clear Live the Life is the uh, website, clearlivethelife.com. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, and we will be right back. Tell me your stories, I'll do my best to understand you. What did I tell you? We're right back. Right back here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices, as I shared earlier. Uh, we hope that you will avail yourselves of this information uh, at our guest's website, which once again is clear, live the life, living the life, living the life dot com, clear, living the life dot com. Um, we are going to be linked to your website, uh, Doc, and uh, we're going to encourage people to go there to find out more about you uh, because if they are so inclined and so interested, they certainly uh, can um, uh, get in touch with you for maybe a, a keynote speech or a commencement speech, maybe even a motivational speech or a speech or executive coaching. Um, I'm not sure. I have not uh, taken a look yet at uh, WebEx events, but also uh, book signings in their particular community. Or yeah, as an orthopedic uh, doctor, maybe uh, you can uh, take a look at my ankle and uh, let me know what the problem <laughs> is there. Uh, here, let me put it up to the camera and you can uh, just have a good look there. One of the things that I find interesting is that um, you stayed on course after the fact. You didn't suddenly realize, oh, my heart. Oh, Lord. Well, maybe I should switch to cardiology. Um, you knew what your dream was. Uh, and you chose to continue down that path. Was there ever any uh, thinking that you should change to something else, whether it be cardiology or otherwise? 
Yes, yes, and I, I and I, I think that's a good point. Not only that, there was lots of depression. There was lots of crying. There was lots of doubt. There was, I never doubted um, that God loved me. I never said, why me? You know, why would God do such? I, I never had those that thoughts, but I did say, you know, I don't know if I can handle this. Um, I was afraid to leave the house because my defibrillator um, when you talked about medication, they started me on the lowest dose possible, which at that time, now this is almost 30 years ago. Imagine all the knowledge we have today. 30 years ago, they didn't know what dosage to start me on. And until they found the right dosage that was strong enough to control my arrhythmia, I got shocked 50 times. Wow. So I, I was, I was, I did, I don't want people to think that I just woke up and said, Hey, I've got a new dream and I'm going to just, you know, it was through a lot of therapy. It was through an incredible amount of support by my uh, now wife, then fiance who stood by my side and understood everything that went on. And I just want to give a quick shout out to all the caregivers out there who might be listening who are taking care of critically ill people and all the emotional stress oh. that you're going through. But it, it took me a while. Um, I actually had an offer from the chair of dermatology uh, who said, look, you know, dermatology is not as uh, challenging as a surgeon. So you would not be doing surgery work if you got shocked or something you couldn't, um, you know, if I, if I decided to continue in surgery, I would be putting myself and my patients at risk because I could get shocked while I was operating. So they said, you know, you can still do procedures. You can still get that sort of surgical uh, feel, but you also would be, you know, dealing mostly in your clinic with patients. Um, but I, I felt like I always wanted to be a surgeon. Mm -hmm. And if I couldn't do that, then I decided to go back to business school. So I retrained again to the, to the people who are listening. If you have to retrain, retrain. If you got to learn a new skill, learn a new skill. But I sort of looked around at the skills I had and I said, how could I augment what I currently have and, you know, get back on course? And you know, timing is everything. It's, it was the worst time in a person's life to have a cardiac arrest, but it was the best time for a physician with an MBA to go out to be a healthcare consultant. Mm. And so I was in great demand um, as a healthcare consultant. Uh, it was a great time for physicians who had experience around health policy management because we were going through a lot of policy changes and doctors were just not involved in care. It was a great time to be a physician executive because people were saying, we're running these hospitals and we don't even have a healthcare professional on our team. Hmm. So I had a, an incredible fruitful career as a, as a physician executive for the last 18 years. Um, and the rest of that time I was a healthcare consultant. It was, it was, so timing is everything. Um, so, you know, um, I guess I, I want to say I did have other options, but I I just felt pulled in this other direction to become more of a business expert in healthcare. 
And again, your your then fiance, now wife of of uh, you said uh, twenty nine nine years twenty nine yes. years. She's been with me ever since the event. <laughs> I have to tell you that my wife, who I've been together with, I've been with for twenty two years, and we have been married for uh, twenty eighteen years. Eighteen years this year. Um, she has been through. About of cancer in 2001. Uh, she's had two other issues since we've been in Santa Barbara that have put her in the hospital. And I know that when somebody is going through something as traumatic as cancer or even a heart attack that could very well debilitate them the rest of their lives. And they have a spouse, a partner, a fiance, a boyfriend, girlfriend. There is the very real um, push almost to get as far away from this person as you possibly can because it's like, uh, that's not what I signed up for. It really isn't. I mean, uh, we were supposed to be healthy together and we're supposed to uh, die of natural causes, you know, (laughs) at the same time. Um, Mm -hmm. Talk to me about Mm -hmm. that that injection of this event into your relationship was yeah. there ever hesitation on her part and even from your standpoint any any pushback if you will saying look you know you 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 didn't sign up for this uh i'm not going to ask you to stay blah 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 anything like that uh, on either side you know so not that i'm aware of of course i'm not in my wife's um head but mm-hmm. she never ever wavered but imagine you know she was in her 20s um she was not yet married and this person who she was supposed to get married to um you know that was let's see april we were supposed to get married in september so um some seven eight months later you were supposed to commit yourself to this guy for the rest of your life. And you could have easily said, you know, I just can't handle this. You know, this guy's getting shocked and he's depressed and he's afraid to leave the house. And dude, you know, I didn't sign up for this. And how about, let's just put things on hold. Never did that cross either one of our minds. The, you know, when I woke up, I immediately realized there's Jeannie, that's my fiance. And all we could think about is, oh my God, we're supposed to get married in September. I hope we're going to be okay. We didn't even, I don't even know. I don't even remember us talking about putting the wedding off. I mean, it was all systems go. And we were very naive because we were, we, we both did not know what we were getting into, but some six months later, uh, and about three months after we were married, when I had just gotten shocked 25 times on the way to the emergency room. We were just, we were in some sort of surreal movie Mm. that we just could not believe this was happening to us. But again, we just wrote it out. It was just her and I, she could look at me and tell she could see a bead of sweat on my forehead. And she go, you, you just, your heart just skipped a beat. Right. I could, I mean, she could look at me, and tell what I was going through. We just knew each other that well, and we just stuck together and just went through this crazy 
crazy time uh, and have just been together since then. Um, and now, <clears throat> since that has occurred, I had another serious event. This reminds me about your story when you opened the show with the guy who wanted um, money for gas. Mm-hmm. I, I'm with you. I would have done the same thing. Um, I, I wouldn't have given him cash. And actually, who knows? The guy's still maybe just trying to get gas to go see his mother, you know, 50 miles up the road and just, you know, is I mean, it still could be um, genuine. But I walked into the Delta Crown Club on May, I believe it was May 16th, 2017, uh, uh, and said hello to everybody and good morning. And I was uh, in great shape. I just started back on the uh, workout routine and I saw this gentleman sitting in front of me and I said, good morning. How are you? And he said, I'm fine. How are you? And the last thing I remember is him saying, are you okay? And it turns out that that guy that I said good morning to, who I could have said, you know, what are you looking at me for? Or I could have smirked at him or I could have whatever. That just happened to be the man who saw me go down and decided to do CPR and saved my life again with bystander CPR. And it could have been that smile. It could have been, Mm. he said, my God, this genuine nice guy just went down i'm gonna risk my life and give him cpr mm-hmm. and he brought me back and now he and i are great friends i mean so you never know that act of generosity that act of kindness what that will lead to yeah and you don't and that's the reason why you do it regardless of whether or not they're being genuine or, di- or disingenuous uh what was a little disturbing to me this morning when i saw him there again i'm going that looks like the same van, and he was supposed to be on his way to Oklahoma, and then all of a sudden ah. I see him, and he actually was going to ask me again, and I said, uh, no, you're supposed to be on your way to Oklahoma. I helped you last <laughs> week, and I got in my truck, and I drove away uh, because I thought, no, this is there's something wrong here, and you know, yeah. it's not my responsibility. He will get, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, the... universal law that uh, for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction, Mm -hmm. karma, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And he will, he will, unfortunately, I say, unfortunately, from the standpoint that, you know, this goes back to what I was saying before about listening to the still small voice, that when you Mm -hmm. don't listen, you personally and individually with 100% responsibility, put yourself in harm's way. Um, my wife and I were watching this, uh, this movie that was sort of religiously based and it was on, I think it was on either Hulu or Netflix. And of course you never know until you get into the movie and Mm -hmm. you had one group of people that were spouting all of the wonderful traditional, uh, uh, um, uh, um, I'll say religious, uh, uh, phrases to, uh, someone else who was just having a hell of a hard time as to why, because the dad was now dead. The mom was kidnapped and this and this and this and this and this. And this this one person was saying, well, you know, God, we don't know what God's plan is. And this it's like, what are you talking about? And 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 uh, uh, trying to to blame the devil. And it's like, no, these men did this and this. And it's like I'm sitting here siding with the kid who's upset and is asking why, 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 thinking he's got it right. He didn't Mm -hmm. do all of this. He being the kid or the family, Mm -hmm. uh, they're trying to resolve it. 
Uh, and God didn't let it happen. These men were responsible for making it happen. Now, mm-hmm. I realize that that rubs against the grain of a lot of people who might be listening who have a particular faith, and I don't mean to do that. But the point is, either we have 100% responsibility for mm-hmm. where we are, what we're doing, and what we think, and, and what we put into action, or we're not. You right. can't, it's, it's, I love the, I love this phrase. I cannot really relate to it, but I still love the phrase. You are not a little pregnant. You either are pregnant <laughs> or you are not, you yeah. know, so, so. I, I mean, I, and I, and I think they're, they're varying, they're varying interpretations. I'm with you. I'm of the belief that I, I believe in God, but I don't believe I walked blindly. Like if I just put on a blindfold, walk down the street, God will make sure I don't get hit by a car. I mean, there is some choice there. I believe yeah. we have choices. I believe that um, God has a a vision that, you know, it, it is not, we all meet with some demise at some point, regardless of what that is. But, you know, you can't blame every bad thing that, you know, God has taken his eyes off of us. I mean, yeah. it's just, you know, you have some control over this life here and you have a decision of whether you're going to, do good things a person at a time, which is what I believe, and start with treating yourself good, um, or whether you're going to succumb to all of the, 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 um, you know, the things that tantalize us and, and pull us in negative directions. I believe that, you know, we all have to put all the positive energy out there in it. And, but there's still life. Yeah. Life still has cancer. Life still has accidents. Life still has you know, stuff. And that, and that's part of it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. It's, 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 uh, from my perspective, it's like, uh, the, a flowing river. You can't stop the water. Okay. You can either try to swim upstream or you can just, as the phrase goes, you can just go with the flow. Yeah. Uh, and you may run into rocks along the way cause they're in the middle of the river, in the river, in the riverbed. Mm-hmm. You may come across branches and tree limbs that are on along the side. If you're off to the left or the right, uh, mm-hmm. but it's, it's nobody's fault. It's just, that's what's there. So how are you yeah. going to deal with it? Um, you know, and uh, it's, it's, um, it's one of those things that I realize is a lot of, uh, is I know that a lot of people have that other belief that helps them through. And I want, I don't want to undermine that because yeah. if it's helping them, if it's serving them, then let it continue to serve them. Um, I just mm-hmm. was watching the movie thinking, Wow, you know, I, I was trying not to pass judgment on, on the girl who was who was spouting these phrases, because that's where she was, and it was helping her. She was staying calm, right. and that's one of the reasons why we encourage people to go within. Right now, people are really getting upset because they've been home for six or seven or eight weeks. My wife's been off since April, um, March eighteenth. Yeah. All right, she's been furloughed since March eighteenth, and isn't scheduled to return uh, until uh, late May. Which it could be sooner, uh, depending upon how things go. Uh, so as of this conversation, she's she's still at home and uh, waiting for me to get home. <laughs> uh, and actually, it, it's sort of a mixed blessing. I mean, it's it's nice to hear, you know, but yeah. at the same you know, time. Go ahead. I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but uh, 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 I, I was on another call last week and a gentleman mentioned this concept that I mean, I, I didn't invent this. So I don't want to take credit for it, but. I thought it was an interesting concept. He said that, you know, this is somewhat of a, 
of a productive pause. It has, it, it has ah. caused all of us to stop and rethink life because life is not going to be the same. We're not going to all get back. And once, you know, once they open up everything until this virus is totally eradicated as a threat, either through a vaccine or until it just fizzles out and we find that it has some sort of seasonality to it and we're okay until the fall when it, you know, when flus strike again, life is not going to ever be the same. And so this is the time when you need to think through your life. What am I doing? What am I going to do differently? How am I going to interact with people differently? How am I going to go out to dinner? How am I going to, am I going to wear a mask? Do I believe in what's, I mean, it's just so many things that I think we're being asked to re-examine. Family, I mean, I think the most beautiful thing about all of this is I've, together with my wife and son for the past four weeks, locked in a box, (laughs) and we're just loving it together, you know, and so, you know, we haven't been together like this since he was in high school, where he, Mm. we knew he was coming home every day. But other than that, you know, he was off to college and we didn't see him and we missed him and we love each other. And so it's been beautiful. But I think people need to figure out, I mean, there's a, again, listen to the voice. What is the voice telling you? Mm -hmm. Don't, don't let this opportunity pass by and you haven't taken time to analyze. Maybe this is time for me to rethink my life. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is time for me and my wife to talk about things we haven't talked about. You know, I don't know what that is for everybody, Mm -hmm. but use the productive pause before you just get back to business as usual. Um, And so I just thought that was a very interesting concept. And I've been putting this question to my guests. I'll put this question to you. And this comes more from a spiritual or metaphysical perspective, okay? This is not mm-hmm. the, the real world, if you will, which is an illusion in most cases. But be that as it may, the question has to do with how we create our own reality, okay? And mm-hmm. I have been taught over the years, it's been shared with me, that when you uh, hear of certain natural disasters happening around the world— regardless of what they are, or you hear of conflict, drama and conflict somewhere around the world, it is a representation of that same uh, uh, energy and stuff that's going on within you, inside of you, that you're struggling with, right? Right. So the question that I pose to my guests now these days is, what's going on inside of the soul, the spirit of man today that has caused him, and I use the term him in a very generic way, ladies and gentlemen, him, her, <laughs> uh, us, what's mm-hmm. caused us to create this scenario in our outer world? What's going on in our inner world that we have, we have chosen and we feel the need to create this outer world uh, with this virus and the stay at home and the this and that and, and so forth? Do you have any perspective on that? You know, I, all I would say is I've seen the best and the worst of people. And I try and focus on the wonderful things that people are doing. This, this kind of thing brings us together. It reminds us how, 
how small we are. <laughs> you know, all the technology in the world and this little teeny microscopic virus has brought the world to its feet. And so it, to me, it, it just reminds us and it should humble us at how as far as we've gone, there's still things we don't know about. There's still things we haven't conquered, but there's still wonderful things we can do for each other and come together. I mean, this literally has closed all the borders across the world. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it isn't until recently that now you can even travel from the United States to another country. So, it, I mean, literally, we have cut off communication and redefine what it means to communicate. All these people, all these Zoom parties, all this, you know, we've redefined the meaning of communication and the importance of how do we maintain those connections with people we love in spite of the fact that we can't see each other and be with, or we can't touch each other and be standing next to each other. And so for me, it's just a reexamination of just the whole experience the whole life what does it mean you know um it's not about politics but i think really to me without um saying any negative thing about anything anyone in particular let me just say positive people like governor cuomo i mean to me the guy shows what real leadership is about i mean there are people like that who have shined through who under the incredible odds they're under have been able to figure out how do I band people together? How do I create some order and disorder? Um, so I've just been noticing all the beautiful things that have come out of it. And I've been trying to reexamine myself and what I do and how I relate to other people. And of course, those of us who have been sick have a totally different experience here. You know, those of us who have been sick and those of us over 60 are scared shitless, you know, excuse my French, but we, you know, we could, I, I know friends of mine whose parents have died mm. from this disease. And so, I mean, for those people who have never been sick and are just running around without masks and feeling like this is all a big joke on us, I mean, I just say it's, it's not real until it, it touches home. And then all of a sudden you go, oh my goodness, this is real. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've been in the hospital for 28 days, um, you know, seven days on a ventilator. I, I know that this is the real deal. It's just unfortunate that people have equated this to rights and this and that instead of to what's the best for our society to make sure that the most of us survive this event. So, um well, yeah, that's kind of an around-the-world answer yeah. to your question. Well, I've even raised uh, this point. In our Declaration of Independence, it certainly talks about um, inalienable rights, and among these are life and liberty. I'm not going to the third one at this moment. But it also mm -hmm. says in there that um, uh, this, de this declaration has to do with uh, a, a bunch of other things in addition to promoting the general welfare now, you can go on with that and say, securing the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, future mm -hmm. generations. How are you going to, and, and, and uh, I would first throw out, how are you going to pass on to future generations if you die? Because you yep. <laughs> want to exercise your individual rights. So now I put the question to you, 
and you don't have to answer it. It's more rhetorical than anything else because you've sort of expounded on that already. How does an individual, an American who lives by the, the rule of law and constitution and individual rights, how do you juxtapose or balance promoting the general welfare and your constitutional right to freedom mm -hmm. uh, and to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, where you want to do it. And I think that that is the biggest problem we have right now, that the, the, the people who promote individual rights over community rights uh, are not understanding that we, it is we, the, it starts out with we, the people, we, mm. collective, community, group, we, the people of the United States, uh, in mm. order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic, domestic tranquility. How is your jumping out there promoting <laughs> tranquility? Yeah. Promote the, the general welfare and so on and so on and so on. I can't remember. I, rem I can't believe I remember most of that. Um, you know, the thing is, we have laws. You obviously can't do whatever you want when you want. So we have laws and we have people who we uh, trust to go get educated to help uh, uh, influence those laws. And the laws and the the experts are telling us that and it's been demonstrated in other countries that isolation is what's getting us past this thing. So why would you exercise your inalienable right and, and protest by getting together in a group when that's in fact the biggest threat? I mean, nobody denies that. <laughs> you know, how you go about it may be under question, but clearly organizing as a group is the most obvious way to promote the spread of the disease why would you use that as a vehicle to protest the it just doesn't make sense yeah the thing that gets me is what you just said is almost brushed aside social distancing is keeping the numbers down but then they argue well but the numbers are down they don't even come close to the flu influenza that we have each year blah 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 because we're social distancing you know, it's yeah. it's it comes it comes back to the reason that you are standing upright and able to argue your point is because you keep breathing in air and exhaling carbon dioxide. If you <laughs> stop doing that, right. you will fall to the ground and cease to exist and cease to be expressing your individual rights. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to. And I, I don't know why people. They don't seem to put those two together. It's like they're two separate equations that have nothing to do with one's geometry and, and one's calculus. And it's yeah. like, you know, it, it, it just seems to me that we are we we're we're I, it bothers me more than anything else that we keep talking about this from the fact that this is a data driven virus. And I'm going, no, it's not. It is not a data driven virus. It is a human-driven virus. When we come in contact with someone who's got the damn thing, and then, of course, they yeah. also talk about those people who, who have it, but they're asymptomatic. Well, how yes. do you know that you have it unless you're testing? And there have only been about 2 million tests or so as of this time of this broadcast when there are 350 
to 380 million people in this country. We Mm -hmm. have, as of this moment, lost over 60,000 human beings to this virus. And I just sit here going, you want to talk about numbers? Those are the numbers that we should be talking about. But converting that into human beings. These are fellow citizens who are being affected. And I got to tell you, my heart goes out to, as well as my applause, to the first responders there in the medical facilities across this country and around the world. Because I I cannot imagine, I, I sure as hell hope, that the governments of these respective countries where these first responders are doing just that, they get the kind of help they are going to need when this is all over. Uh, similar to, but in a better and faster paced fashion than the 9-11 uh, uh, first responders got. Um, mm-hmm. Because this is just wearing these people out. I'm, uh, you know, I was mm-hmm. applauding when 10 or 20 or 30,000 in New York came out of the woodwork saying, we're here, we'll help. And they're beaten, they're being beaten down. Yeah, you this know. is 100 days of of just constant... You know, those people on the front lines, there's going to be a lot of emotional um, um, post-traumatic stress uh, related to to this that we, we've yet to see. But all of that's going to come out. There are yeah. going to be a lot of people who are going to be harmed and people who, before we knew what we were dealing with, who got the disease and died. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a crazy thing. It's, you know, but. We'll look back on this just like the plague before and just like, uh, you know, AIDS and just like other things that have disrupted our whole social thinking and our paradigms. And we'll we'll figure out how to get beyond this. Yeah, you know? um, we have before but, and we'll um, do it again. There's no question yeah. about it. Yeah. I want to thank you so much for sharing your time with us. There's so much more we could talk about, uh, and in, especially in this light, because uh, there are going to be um, uh, repercussions down the road. This is like this yeah. is not like a drop of water in a still pond. This is like a meteorite into the ocean. Yeah, it <laughs> really the, is. The ripples are going to be felt uh, probably for years to come. However, uh, humanity will continue on. Uh, despite man's inhumanity to man, I question that quite often. Mm-hmm. Does man really deserve to continue on? Look at how he's behaving. You are yeah. going to have a timeout. <laughs> you're you're out of here for ten thousand years, and then you can you can come back. Right. But um, the story that you have told in your book, Clear: Living the Life You Didn't Dream of, going to the website. ClearLivingTheLife.com is where we want to send people. As I've said before, we will be linked to your website so people can get more information, not only about the book, but about you and your story, and maybe Mm -hmm. get a hold of you for any number of these just various speaking engagements that probably will be done for a while via Skype or Zoom or whatever other uh, video conferencing uh, platform there is. And uh, I, I first of all want to thank you again for, for being with us. And when we do get a chance to start moving around a little bit, we'd love to have you back in Santa Barbara to do this face-to-face uh, oh, to continue awesome. this conversation. I think it's very important. And also uh, in terms of in- encouraging men and women to take care of their health. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you, Richard. It's Again, it's an honor that you would even ask me to come on and, and really a pleasure to be able to talk about my personal story 
and I hope it has some meaning and, and inspiration to your listeners. I also want to pass on to you also that uh, uh, you know how often you hear when you see couples walking down the street and and the guy's kind of not looking all that great, you know, and you, what in the world is she doing with him? <laughs> Sometimes it's the converse, but not always. I got to tell you, I know why she's with you. You both, you're a good-looking couple. Let me tell you, beautiful, you. beautiful people, and and yeah. I am so glad that that the two of you are together. That she hung in there with you 29 years ago. That shows mm-hmm. her strength and her fortitude, and her commitment to you uh, as well. And I have three final questions for you before we wrap things up, but I want to let our listeners know about the podcasts on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and so many others. Also, if you'd like to support the work that we're doing, uh, we have a PayPal and Patreon account, and um, we'll take whatever financial support you can give us. I know things are are pretty tight for most people, and I understand that, but uh, whatever you can uh, send us, hey, you know what? We'll even take energetic support. Send us some good energy to keep moving forward with this program. That is always, always helpful. And again, we thank those who have supported us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Those who will support us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. My final three questions for you are, number one, who is Herman J. Williams? Uh, Herman J. Williams is a compassionate individual who is seeking to figure out how he can provide the maximum benefit to those around him as possible with his the time he has left here on this uh, beautiful world. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I want to inspire others not to give up and to let others know that um, this is a beautiful existence and it can really be um, transformed into a wonderful experience regardless of what you're experiencing. And finally, what is your life's purpose? My life's purpose is to make everyone I come in contact with better off after they leave me than before they met me in some small or large way. Again, I thank you so much, Dr. Herman Williams, uh, and the website, once again, clearlivingthelife.com. We really do appreciate your time, and uh, uh, also thank your wife for giving us her time, uh, your time away from her. I'm glad that you folks are having a great time. My wife and I, for the most part, we are. It's not that we're getting on each other's nerves, but the fact is I still come down to the Santa Barbara to work, and she stays up on the hill. But at least she has her protector dog, Angus, who is a 120-pound uh, uh, black king shepherd and then five cats. So she's not alone, uh, but I know that she would rather have me up there. And uh, again, I thank you so much. And I thank you for listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast podcast, love to Lal.